This is Laura from the Peaceful Life Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 117, Leon the Professional, Movie Review. Chris McBrien, along with caveman Derek Myers, you're going to find us on Twitter at C McBrien for me, at Amaron underscore DM for Derek, and popgoesyourworld.com is our website. Derek, how are you doing, my friend? Chris, I am doing great. Even though we've been off for a couple of weeks, uh, I'm doing great. Yeah, my wife had a birthday, so uh, we had a great big party for her last week, so I was unable to get down here and into the studio, but I'm loving this new studio. It's good. It's a little, uh, I don't know, it's a little, sounds a little different, but uh, yeah, I'm liking the new studio. Got the renovations done. We're good to go. Excellent. Excellent. Good What's, to what's new in your wish world? Your, wish your wife a happy birthday on oh, my behalf. Oh, I will. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I should mention that you came up here for my birthday not that long ago. It was great. I did indeed. And well, my birthday's in September, so you got a lot of time to plan out and you can come see me next September on my birthday. Oh, absolutely. I will. That would be great. Uh, So what's new in your uh, world, especially in regard to pop culture? You see anything new, anything like that? Every single time I talk to you, it's like you always, you have so much available time to do this stuff. It's just so amazing. You're always like, oh, I I watch this. I watch that. Fill me in on what's new because, you know, I just watch meatballs for the third time, so. Uh, of course you did. Uh, uh, so, yeah, you're right. I, I have a lot of time on my hands. I don't have kids, so I, I embrace pop culture as much as possible to uh, fill in that downtime. And so I have a buddy who – and I'm, I can't remember if I mentioned him on the podcast before. He One of his hobbies is entering contests. That, <laughs> I don't think so, like, no. <laughs> you and I, Chris, when we have free time, we watch movies or we, we watch some old TV shows. Mm-hmm. This guy, when he has free time and he makes the time every day, he enters contests. Like contests where it's like enter as often as you like or enter <laughs> once a day. or right. And he wins tons of great stuff year after year. It is great. And here in Canada, <laughs> if you win a contest, it's tax-free uh, as lottery winnings and, and contest winnings are tax-free. So Yes, in the United it, States, they're not. Yeah, yeah it's it's like even sometimes it'll be like, oh, you want a $100 gift certificate to the local Steak Shack? And it's like, great, that's free 100 bucks in his pocket. Yep. So yep. anyway. Uh, so he contest enters contests. That's what he enters does. contests oh, like that's crazy. Cool. And, and he's yeah. one of the most generous guys I know, and he's so good with sharing the wealth because a lot of times the contest wins are more than any one person could ever do uh, or enjoy. So this summer he entered a contest a lot. I think it was through Coca-Cola where it was like you buy a Coke, you enter the code and you win a prize. And he entered this contest like hundreds of times this summer. And almost every single time you enter, the default prize was two free passes to a movie of your choice. So he ended up with like a hundred free movie passes. Oh, geez. Now, August and September and even into October, not always the greatest months in the theater. So you don't want to go for the sake of going if there's nothing really good to see. Right. But now we're coming into November, December, and we're getting closer to the award season. Mm-hmm. And this is when they start toting out some of the the bigger, more prestige pictures. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, not not the summer blockbusters, but like the, right. the like the real good movies, right? Yeah. So uh, the 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 passes expire at the end of November. But my friend, being the the generous soul that he is, reached out to a number of us and said, "Hey, if you're going to go to the movies." 
I want to offer you one of my free passes because there's no way I'm going to use them all myself. So he, he gave me a whole bunch of these passes and I'm doing my best to use as many as he's given me. So I've been to the theater probably a dozen times in November, whereas I hadn't been out to the movies more than once or twice in the preceding two or three months. So uh, just to give you the highlights, the last couple ones I saw this week, uh, both really good. I saw the new release Ford versus Ferrari. Okay. Which now you're a car guy, right, Chris? Uh, not really. Maybe I'm. Uh, oh, I'm thinking more Rob's. Yeah, yeah. You're our buddy so, Rob. He likes cars. Uh, Ford versus Ferrari, starring Matt Damon, my boyfriend. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Damon. Yeah, exactly. Always got to get one of those in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's based on a real life story, which I really didn't know anything about. But if you're calling the movie Ford versus Ferrari, you got to think Ford's doing something to potentially win this contest. Or why would you make the movie, right? Um, and hopefully that's not a spoiler. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. I didn't really know uh, uh, much about what was going to be happening in the movie other than it's about car racing. So I really enjoyed it. And then I really enjoyed after the movie going online and like double checking, fact checking the movie, sort of seeing like, oh, my God, that really happened. And, oh, that's interesting how they sort of just tweaked that a little bit for the movie to make it more entertaining. But it was quite good. I really liked it. Uh, personally, I don't think it's going to get a nomination for uh, for any of the acting awards. Maybe a Best Picture if they nominate up to 10 movies this year. But I, I don't think it's quite the, quote, prestige picture they were hoping it would be. But it was very entertaining. And the price point was perfect since they didn't have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other movie I saw, which I think will get nominated for Best Picture, is called Jojo Rabbit. Have you seen or heard about this? Never one? even heard of it before. Okay. So I'll read you the little synopsis here. So sure. Jojo Rabbit is written directed and starring Taika Waititi. Do you know who that is? Never heard of that person in my life. Okay. He was the director of the recent Thor Ragnarok movie. And he's part of the, um, they did the, what we do in the shadows, the vampire spoof parody movie. Was he in anything from the eighties? Then I don't know him. Uh, yeah, probably not. I want to say he's, and I don't, I hope I don't get this wrong. I want to say he's from New Zealand. I think, um, in any case, this movie, I'll read the description here. It says, uh, a Hitler youth who finds out his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in the attic, and then he must question his beliefs while dealing with the intervention of his imaginary friend, an idiotic version of Adolf Hitler. And it's classified as a, quote, dark comedy, mm-hmm. like a satirical dark comedy. And it's all told through the point of view of this young kid who I think is supposed to be about 10 or 11 years old. Uh, Scarlett Johansson plays the mom. Uh, there are some guest appearances by some other actors where when they're on the screen, you're like, Oh, I totally know who that guy is. And uh, Sam Rockwell has a has a minor part in it as well. It was great. It's it a, sounds it was, fascinating. It was a fabulous movie. Even I would say, I, and I'm not a big fan of trailers because they usually mm-hmm. give a lot away. But right. I would say, Chris, after the podcast, check out the trailer, Jojo Rabbit. I would be shocked if this does not get a Best Picture nomination, possibly even a nomination for Best Screenplay, or I guess it's Adapted Screenplay because it's adapted from a book. It was great. It was so different than anything I had seen. It was the performance by this little kid was outstanding. It was really good. I can't say enough good things about it. Jojo Rabbit, I would encourage you to check it out. Uh, and hopefully it's a movie that we're going to hear more about as we come into uh, award season pretty soon. I watched two movies last week too. And and no big shock to anybody. They were both from the 80s. So the first one, <clears throat> my wife, uh, it was her birthday last week. So I threw her this surprise party and I invited all these close friends of hers and all these girls. They all came downstairs into the basement and they had a little party. It was great. <clears throat> but that left me like upstairs with nothing to do. So I decided, oh, I'm going to watch a movie. So Caveman, can you guess what movie I watched? Well, you already said meatballs, so I'm going to say probably not meatballs. No, it wasn't meatballs. 
Was it Jaws? No, K-Ban, guess what? Get, no, K-Ban, guess Star what? Star Wars. Nope, K-Ban, guess what Raiders movie? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Nope, guess what movie it was, bud? Caveman. I have no idea. It was Caveman. Oh, the, the literal movie Caveman? Yes. With, it was Ringo Starr? Yes, it was Ringo Starr Caveman. It was like from 1981. And it's this it. yeah. goofy movie that I had, I had actually gone to the movies, the theater to see that movie when I was like 11. For whatever reason, it's on YouTube, the full movie. So I was like, you, you got to be kidding me. So I watched Caveman. It, it like they hardly speak English in it at all. Did it hold up? Is that the one where the, the, the that the later in the movie there's a translator and they're asking what all the words mean? And one of the words was zug zug and it meant poop. Yeah, yeah. Like there was a guy in it that, that this guy later in the movie who actually speaks English, but he only a couple of words because he's yeah. like, no, it's food, you know, and all this, and you know, but uh, yeah, they use all these like words like zug zug and like you know ool and all these like you know, and um, and John Matusak is in it. The guy who played sloth. And it was, I, I actually like, I, it was, it was silly and dumb, but it was just, you know, it was entertaining. And I was going to say, how did it hold up? Um, you know, for me, uh, this stuff holds up great. The thing that I didn't realize though, was that it's written and directed by Carl Gottlieb, like from Jaws, the guy that wrote Jaws, like, or was one of the writers on Jaws and, you know, they hired him on Jaws as an actor. He's got a small part in it as like, you know, like the assistant to the uh, the chief of police or something like that, only because uh, they only hired him as an actor so that he would be on on uh, on set to be able to help them with the script as a writer because they wouldn't allow him to hire any more writers. But anyway, that's that's another that's a Jaws story. But Carl Gottlieb wrote this movie and directed it. I think it was the only movie ever directed that as far as I know. So anyway, so I watched Caveman. And the other movie that I watched was European Vacation. And I hadn't seen it in years. And, and and it's, I like vacation. I like European vacation, but that's where it stops. I don't like the Christmas one. I don't like the Vegas one. But European vacation, <clears throat> I hadn't seen in years. And is that, I watched is that the one where he's like, look, kids, Big Ben. Yes, Parliament. Parliament. And they just keep yeah. going around in the circle. Yeah, keep going around the circle. And it seems like it's silly, this silly movie. But I realized, like, I watched that movie a lot when it came out. And something hit me over the head. With a, it was like a hammer when I was watching it because back on episode 47 of this podcast, we did childhood celebrity crushes and we mentioned our top five celebrities that we had crushes on when we were kids, you know, or when we were younger, you know, and the one that I, it just, it hit me that I totally forgot and I had the biggest crush on this girl was from uh, European Vacation. Have you seen European Vacation? Uh, not in 25 years. Okay, but you've seen it, right? So I, I've seen it, yeah. This is going to sound totally crazy. You're going to think I'm insane. Everybody does anyway. But Moon Unit Zappa, I had the biggest crush on her from this movie. Like, I don't know what it was. It's just her character. She's just so likable and she's cute. And I just, I remember watching this movie and thinking, oh my God, that is like the greatest girl I've ever seen in my entire life. I just absolutely love her. I just think she's so great. And so I forgot all about it. And we did that episode and I didn't even mention it in that episode. I had totally forgot about Moon Union Zappa until I watched it the, this past week. I watched it. I was like, oh my God, I totally forgot. Like, like she was such a big crush of mine when I was like, you know, 13 or whatever it was when that movie came out. So anyway, just thought I'd mention those are the movies I watched. He watched all new stuff and really good stuff. I watched Caveman and European Vacation. Par for the course around here. I tell you. Yeah, no kidding. Well, well, that's the way it is. Anyway, let's get started. 
Left, right, left. Black guys, help the white guys. <laughs> Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna. Death before disco. Disco, yeah. Should have called him the dork. I'm better than you. I can do whatever I want. It's like going into Wisconsin. Are you homosexuals? You mean like flaming? Your wife better watch out because it sounds like this is your lost soulmate. No, we're not homosexual, but we are willing to learn. You just broke my force field. Yeah, well, I got the kicked out of me in Wisconsin once. Forget it. Okay, so this week it was your turn to nominate a film, and you wanted me to go back, and this is going back a little ways for you, okay, man. We went back to 1994, and you had me watch Leon the Professional. And full disclosure, when you nominated it, I'd never even heard of it. I'd never heard of it, of course. Didn't know what it was. So um, maybe you can start us off and explain why you nominated this movie and talk a little bit about it, and then I'll jump in. And I'll sure I'm gonna break this movie down with you. Okay, so uh, I want to say that first, it was originally released in North America under the title of just The Professional. Uh, My understanding is it had a fairly limited release. It did not necessarily do that well uh, theatrically when it was released in North America. But as I mentioned before, I worked at Blockbuster Video for a number of years, and this movie did very well on the video home video market. Oh, really? It was one of the. It was one of the ones where we we didn't have a lot of copies of it in our stores, but it was always one that people were were checking out. It was one that the employees would recommend. It was one that people would come in and and they would just talk to other customers and say like, oh, have you ever seen – because on like a Saturday night when you used to go to the video store, everyone wanted the brand new release. And by 8 o'clock, all the brand new releases were gone. And then so people are wandering around through the the back stock like, oh, well, what what can I get? And that's when – Total strangers would just start to talk to each other. You'd have two people going down the action adventure aisle. They go, hey, man, would you just watch this week? Oh, what do you recommend? And so this is one of the ones that through word of mouth, uh, at least in my experience so in the greater Toronto area, we had a lot of people were, were referring it, watched it. The staff enjoyed it. And you got to remember, this was um, uh, the movie came out in 94. And the year this was right around the time when we had Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. You suddenly had these movies that were like ultra violent movies. But they weren't just about the gore and the shoot 'em up. Like that, you had the the film's creators were trying to make a point, tell a story, weave some artistry into a shoot 'em up movie. And I think the professional sort of fell into that niche. So people who came in and said, "Oh, I really like Pulp Fiction. What else do you recommend?" This is something that you would recommend, and in many cases, people would rent it and enjoy it. Uh, it's directed by, written and directed by Luc Besson who uh, before this had done, uh, I think it was called The Big Blue, if I remember correctly. It was about um, free water diving, also starring uh, John Renault. And then not long after this, he did The Fifth Element with Bruce mm-hmm. Willis. Right. And he'd gone, uh, so Luke Besson's had a pretty decent career. Um, he's done a number of different movies. He tends to work with a lot of the same actors, um, you know, like many uh, directors have their favorites and they're constantly in their work. Uh, Luke Besson and John Renault have collaborated many times. And, um, so this, this is sort of one of their earlier collaborations, but uh, in my opinion, definitely one of their better ones. It's the first time we get introduced to Natalie Portman as an actress on screen. Uh, I want to say she was – she's playing a 12-year-old girl. I think she was actually 11 or 12 at the time of the filming. And it's essentially uh, a character study. You have this character, Leon, who is uh, an assassin who's an immigrant to the United States. He doesn't speak English very well. He doesn't know how to read English. He's in a situation where he shows up in America before the movie begins – has a very limited skill set and the people who he relates to most that are from the same places he's from put him to work. And it's played by Danny Aiello is sort of the, the little Italy, uh, uh, head guy who, who hire, who, you know, pimps out Leon as a, as an assassin for whatever reasons. 
And uh, so you have that relationship set up at the beginning where Danny Aiello is the handler and Leon is the professional assassin and you see him do some of these jobs. And and Leon is a very solitary person. He's he's in this country all alone. He doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have any family. He doesn't he has a job that's not something you would talk about. He has a language barrier and he's a very solitary person. And then early in the movie, you see Natalie Portman's character. She's part of a family. She has brothers and sisters. She has these parents who are shady drug dealers and near the beginning of the movie they get gunned down and so she is escapes this this massacre and leon the hitman basically provides shelter uh to save her life uh so she doesn't also get gunned down and then it's the relationship between this young girl whose family has been massacred and this very solitary assassin who has never really had anyone in his life and you see this this sort of healing of the two characters where she gets this father figure that is this like stand-up guy, despite the fact that he kills people for a living. He's got morals, he's got values, he's got a strong work ethic, and he's he's sort of giving her the discipline that someone uh, at that age would need. And she's sort of opening up emotionally to him. You know, here you can have people in your life. You know, if you wanted to have kids, you could have kids. And it's this this interesting relationship, this interesting dynamic that builds between these two characters over the course of the two hours. Now, don't get me wrong. There's still the shoot 'em up parts, which are great. Uh, some of the the talky talky parts tend to sort of dial the meter down a bit. Uh, I think there are definitely some pacing issues in the middle of this, but the beginning is fantastic. The ending is fantastic, uh, and I really enjoyed this. And I hadn't actually seen it in say five years or more when I recommended this movie to you. And then, of course, after the podcast where I said, "Chris, we're going to watch this movie," I went out and watched this like the next day. And then it's been like six weeks. So even though um, even though it's been a little while since I saw this, I, I'm, I'm still very much – it's top of mind. I, I really enjoy it. I, there was a lot of parts that I sort of forgot. And then as I'm watching the movie again, I'm like, oh, yeah, geez, totally forgot about that part. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's so, the rambling. So, Chris, <clears throat> tell me <clears throat> – talk about this. Well, so what I'd like to do is I'd like to, to kind of go through the movie. I'm going to yes, kind of go through do. it scene by scene and have you maybe kind of walk me through it and help me, you know, get through this movie and understand it a little bit more. Um, no surprise to anybody, <clears throat> you know, as is usually the case around here. I didn't really like it very much. Um, I'm just I'm curious, like, so why did you want me to watch this? What did you expect me to get out of watching this movie? I'm just curious because I do because Pulp Fiction is one of my favorite movies. Like, I really like Pulp Fiction a lot. And you mentioned that um, I don't. I, I'm I'm just curious what what did you expect what did you expect from me watching this movie? I have learned that when I recommend a movie to you, my expectation <laughs> is you're going to hate it. So you met the expectations. Um, no, so the thing with this podcast is we can come on every week and say let's recommend a movie, and we can pick the top movie of the year that we know everybody's seen mm -hmm. and we can try to put a different spin on this movie than what every other podcast and TV show and print media is saying. And that's not going to separate us from the pack. That's boring. Like what can we say that hasn't already been said? That's why we're not talking about Ford versus Ferrari this week. Like if you want to know about that, it's out there. Uh, and that's why we don't review movies like star Wars. Everybody's mm -hmm. seen star Wars. There's nothing with Pulp Fiction. There's nothing we could say about that that hasn't already been said ad nauseum to death especially because we usually pick older movies mm -hmm. so i always try to find movies number one that i don't think you've seen before and usually i ask you off camera hey have mm -hmm. you ever seen this movie mm -hmm. so i have a list of movies i know you haven't seen or right. that you're like i sort of know this movie like full monty you hadn't seen the movie no. 
but you said you had seen the play version yes. of it. Or yes, something. I had so seen you it. were sort of yeah. familiar with the broad yeah. strokes. So I, I, I try to find a movie that I think people of a certain generation, a certain age will have already seen or are at least familiar with. Now, this one is, I'll admit, a little more off the beaten path than some of the others. But hey, we look at some of Yancey's picks. I don't think a lot of people saw The Lobster. So they're not always going to be gold. You're not always going to pick a movie where, oh, there's a huge batch of people that love it. Right. But like I said at the, at the top, if you are around the same age that I am and you were in your late teens, early 20s, even early 30s, uh, in the mid 90s and you hit the video store with any regularity, there's a very strong chance you've seen this movie. Yeah, I don't know. Like uh, I say, I'd never even heard of it. So I, I want to kind of go through the movie <clears throat> a bit and just kind of walk through it. So Danny Aiello, you mentioned. And funny enough, he was in the last movie that we reviewed and do the right well, thing. Well, that's part of what yeah, inspired was cool. This was on my list. So I have mm-hmm. a list of about a dozen movies I want us to get to at some point. And after we did do the right thing, I was looking over the list and often I don't even pick the movie until we're on air and you say, okay, what do you want to do for next week? And I pull up my list and I go, what am I in the mood for? So when we were doing do the right thing, I'm in the back of my mind. I knew I had to pick a movie. And when we got to that point, I pulled up my list and I saw the professional on the list. I went, Danny Aiello is in that too. Let's see another Danny Aiello because I was expecting to do the podcast the very next week. Right. So that was, I'll admit, that definitely factored into it. And Danny Aiello was interesting in this because as I watched him in this movie, like I, I think he was great in this movie, but it made me realize Man, oh man, was he good and do the right thing. God, he was good at that movie. Oh, but anyway, so in this movie, it kind of opens up, like you said, it's in 1994 and it's in New York City. And one of the things that struck me the most is one of the opening scenes is you see the the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center, which is very interesting. Like, oh, you know, it's a little shocking. Um, So the the opening scene, if I remember correctly, was where the guys go into the hotel and they they do a hit. And then the thing that struck me the most about that scene was the stairwell shot. Like, it, it just jumped out to me. It's very stylistic. Like, it just yes. shows the stairwell looking down, right? And then, of course, you know, the scene gets real bloody, and he, like, pulls one guy down the stairs, and he strangles another guy with, like, a wire and pulls him up. So, you know, he's obviously a very skilled assassin, right? And yeah, then I, trying I, to, Obviously, they, they need to establish that at the outset. Right. Not only is he an assassin, he's an exceptional very assassin. Very good one. He can yeah. do all – he can employ – all of these methods to to uh, get to the target, and at the very and like the whole, what you realize is he doesn't even kill the the last guy. He literally hands him a cell phone and says, "Take yep. this call." Yep. And it's like, yet he had to kill twenty, well, probably not twenty, probably a dozen guys to get there. Mm-hmm. And then later in the movie, when he starts to talk a little bit more about his craft, you realize that the things he's talking about when he talks about like, if you're good, you can do this, and if you're great, you can do that. It's like mm-hmm. the things he classifies as when you're great, you can do these things. You've witnessed him do all those things in this opening scene, so they. They really, he really establishes right away that this guy is the best of the best. So I thought it was interesting at the end of that opening scene, the, the, there's a metal grate that comes down over the patio door and then yeah. bullets get shot through it and, and it causes like shards of light to come into the room. And and the thing is, immediately I look at like I'm a, I'm a movie buff like you are and I'm thinking that that's an homage to Blood Simple. You know, like it's, it's not, that's not original. It's more like an homage because in Blood Simple, they did that very effectively. Um, but anyway, so the scene ends and then he goes into the store and steals milk. And I was like, what? I, made I don't think he that. stole it. I think he paid for it or he oh, had a credit. Uh, yeah. So then he, then he comes to the apartment and you, you see Natalie Portman is sitting on the edge of the stairwell. And again, another stylistic stairwell shot. And then Leon comes up the stairs. And again, it's shot from above, looking down the spiral staircase. So at this point, I'm thinking, you know, stairs are some sort of a metaphor in this film, obviously. And she's like, I don't know, like 13 years old or whatever she is. She's like smoking cigarettes. And then like her dad's very abusive. Like he hits her at one point in that scene. Yeah. And in all honesty, 
if I hadn't seen her name in the credits, I don't know that I would have recognized her. Like, like not at the outset. No, no I, I, I didn't and, think I would have. And Gary Oldman too, because he he just looks different. I know it's from 1994, but still, he he looked different to me. And and I, I get it that he's a character actor, and that probably explains it. But I, I just don't know if I would have recognized him either without those opening credits. So then. Um, Leon's there and he takes his jacket like he opens his jacket and he's like armed to the teeth right he's got like grenades strapped to himself and that obviously comes back later in the film and then the thing that I thought was interesting was it goes from that scene to a scene where he like goes in and he has a shower and then he's like he's ironing his shirt and he's like spritzing his house plant and I'm thinking all this after this like horrific killing spree and it's like this extreme mercenary is like it's it's like it's like it's juxtaposed by him doing these like mundane household tasks, which I thought was interesting. So at this point, I'm thinking like this movie's a little bit stylish. Like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of digging it. Right. Oh. Hey, Luc Besson's French. He's good. You know, no, but <laughs> yeah, then but yeah. there, there was, there, there was a lot of scenes in this movie that I don't understand. And this is where I need your help as we walk through the, the, the scenes. So the first scene that I didn't understand was Natalie Portman. She answers the phone and then she pretends that she's her mom. Like she kind of like deepens her voice. Yeah, and there's something about tuition, and then she's like, "Oh, she's dead." I, I didn't. I don't know what that scene was about. It was that confused me. So she had been skipping school. Her parents. I mean, through the course of the movie, you learn that her parents have paid for her to go to this prestigious school, and part of the way that they paid for this was by selling drugs, which is what gets them in trouble. At least partly what gets them the family in trouble. And she obviously had no desire to go there, and had not been attending class, which is why the teachers were calling to say, "Hey, oh. she's been skipping two weeks. We're not giving you back the tuition. We thought you should know." Now, why she says she's dead, um, I don't know. I mean, she's an 11-year-old kid. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe that's a, an excuse she figured would, well, if I say she's dead, they'll stop calling. I don't know. Maybe when I watch these movies, I just miss a lot of stuff. I don't know, because I'm, I didn't get that out of it at all. But anyway, so then um, Leon then goes to the theater, and he's watching like an American in Paris or some Gene Kelly movie or something like that. Yeah. And then, of course, right after that, another shot of the stairwell. So like that recurring motif again. And then there's the scene where Gary Oldman goes in and like shoots up the whole family and talk about a brutal scene, you know? Yeah. But then Natalie Portman, or I guess Matilda is her name, Yeah, her character's name's Matilda, yeah. Um, Her face, when she comes home and sees her family dead, and then she begs Leon to let her in, even as a kid, man, she had some pretty serious acting chops, eh? Yeah. Wow. She's really good in this. Wow, she's a good actress. And But here's the thing with Natalie Portman. Okay, she can flat out act. No question about her talent. But she was in the prequels. So she's yeah. t- she's tainted, you know? Yeah. Well, no matter yeah, how everyone needs a paycheck at some point, right? Uh, no matter how great of an actor you know, she you know, is. You know that old saying in, in showbiz where they say you do one for them yeah. and then one for yourself and then yeah. one for them, one for yourself. Star Wars was one for them. And then she went and did Black Swan and won an Oscar. So, mm-hmm. you know. It works out. One for them, one for us. I don't care no matter what her legacy is, you know, at the end, she will always have the prequel, the prequel taint, you know, and also she was in Closer. And I don't know if you ever saw that, but as much as yeah, I, I, didn't, didn't I like love it. Mike Nichols, like I flat out love everything that he does. And that movie was awful. Like I, yeah, just, it was I truly, truly hated that movie. I hated all the characters and everything. So, I mean, she's done some good stuff, but you know, she's done some bad stuff. So it was obviously like a really weird family thing she had going on. Cause I think she said at one point it was her real dad, but it wasn't her mom and it was like her half sister, 
but I think her Something brother like that, was yeah. real, like it was a real brother. And then there's the scene where he does like the oven mitt pig. Oh, yeah. Like that. And like, I'm like, what the heck's going on? And then, of course, she finds his like attache case full of like guns and ammo. And the thing I thought was interesting was he's honest with her. He says that he's a hitman. Yeah. And then she's like, oh. I think cleaner is what he said. I'm a cleaner. Yeah, she's right. Like, you mean a hitman? And he's like, yeah. So th- this is uh, all I think a lot of what you're describing here, what you're sort of getting at. This sort of is is what I was talking about, about the character study and the character relationship. You have this character, Leon, who like he almost doesn't know how to be a person, right? Like he's lived this solitary life and it's like you were saying at the beginning, he does his job and he goes and he does this assassination and he kills all these people and he comes home and he has a shower and he waters his plant and he irons his shirt. Almost like as if to say he doesn't know how to express emotion. He doesn't have emotions. He's just a guy going through the motions of life day by day. He has a routine and this is all he knows. And Although they don't explicitly say it, you you get the impression that it's like he's possibly afraid of opening up. He doesn't want to welcome you, and you learn a little bit more about his backstory eventually, where he had this you know love affair that went wrong and and all the rest of that. But um, so when when Matilda comes into his life, uh, even right at the very beginning, it's clear that he has no real idea what to do. So where you might try to shelter a young person from the horrors of reality. Oh, are you a hitman? No, no, I'm holding those for someone else. Like that's not the mm-hmm. that's not the angle he takes. He's he does what what in his mind is the right thing to do, and, and you find he has a very direct moral compass. Always seems to be pointing in the right direction, um, and and he's like, yeah, like this is what I am, and and he tries to do what he can to to be honest with this girl and and comfort her in the only way he knows how, which is not really even a way that. Is very good. I, I get it. I mean, like for such a strong guy, like a hitman, like he seems weak, you know. And I get it. Like it's about shading his character and you know making him vulnerable and stuff. But I don't know. For that, it just it seemed to kind of miss the mark for me a little bit on that. But anyway, that okay. was just me. Um, so then he keeps putting his plant out on his balcony, and, and I'm assuming it's another metaphor for something rather. Like you got stairs, plant, milk seem to be the three recurring themes at this point. And um, there's a scene where then she shows him that she can shoot a gun. Right. And that she, yeah, that she, even as a child, she doesn't yeah. have any qualms about firing a gun. And she shoots it out the window and like she shows him she can do this. And then the next scene is then they're walking down the street and she's holding the plant. And I'm like, I'm like, again with the plant, like I'm trying to figure out what this metaphor is. So at this point I realize like, I don't really know what's going on. Like that, I think that was where I started to get a little confused. I'm like, I don't know what's going on in this movie. And then they go to the hotel room. And he teaches her about weapons, which I thought was an interesting speech that he gives because he talks about the rifle and the rifle is the best because you can keep your distance from the client. It's interesting how he calls his hits the client. And he's like, the the knife is the last thing that you need to learn about because you're the closest to the client. And then another scene, I just, again, you've got to walk me through this movie. And they're in Central Park and he lets her use the rifle to kill the jogger. Well, but, I don't think she was. I don't think she killed him. I no, think it because a, then she, uh, she's like, ball. yeah, can, can we use real bullets next time? She's like, and it was like right. paint or something. So I don't know. I guess is he like training her to to do this? Yeah, absolutely. So let me back up a bit. So at the scene where she fires the gun out the window and then it immediately cuts them walking down the street. It's because she fired a gun and that's going to attract attention. And so he knows I can't stay here anymore. So they leave. So that's why they're walking down the street and going to this hotel. He's. 
he's put himself in this situation where he gives her the gun and she's like, yeah, I can do it. Bang, bang, bang. And he's like, oh, crap. I didn't think she was going to do that. And so they leave. And then. So I'm just with, dumb. Well, that's what it is. That makes well, sense. I, I mean, I yeah. wouldn't read more into it than yeah. that. Other than, gotcha. fact, yeah. again, metaphorically, it's now these characters are on a journey, right? You had a character who was set in his ways and had a routine and it's like now they're traveling. And I think the idea of the potted plant is it's like it demonstrates that Leon can care for another living thing. But the potted plant can never grow beyond the pot. And at the very end of the movie, she plants it in in the ground, like as if to to satisfy the metaphor of the plant can now grow as much as it needs to to do whatever it's going to do to fulfill its life cycle because she has a, an epiphany by the end of the movie. Right. There's a, a growth of the character. Okay. Well, we'll we got to talk about the end of the movie when we get there, because I've got sure. questions on that. But you're right, because then that, that, right after that scene, then it's like she puts the plan out on the windowsill and then she says to him, you know, you love your plants. You know, and she says, you should plant it in the middle of the park so it can grow roots. And I'm like, okay, so this is obviously a metaphor yeah, as well, on the nose. you know, and uh, then I thought it was interesting and they get to the hotel room and they both exercise, like he's doing sit-ups and she watches 20 minute workout. And then she says to him, she's like, all we do is work, let's play. And so they do this dress up game and she dresses up like Madonna and Marilyn Monroe and Charlie Chaplin. He doesn't know any of them. Of course, Gene Kelly, he knows, right? And, and, and so there's that scene. And then... They go to Sorry, Chris. Let me stop you there. Yeah. When I watched that scene, it mm-hmm. made me think of the relationship you and I have, where I'll fire out a movie to you, <laughs> yep. and you go, "Never seen it." I'll never fire out it. a movie to you, never seen it. I'll fire another, never seen it. And then I go, "How about Star Wars?" And you go, "Oh, I know Star Wars." It's like, yeah, of course you do. <laughs> so I, I saw a lot of you and I in that scene. <laughs> that's a that's a good that's a good parallel to draw right there. I think. Uh, so they go when they go to Danny Aiello's restaurant. The the note that I made was it reminded me of The Godfather. Yeah, you for know, sure. That scene, just the way it's shot and, and yep. the way it looks. And then it made me realize that this movie is just like a big homage to other, no offense, but better movies like The Godfather, Blood Simple, like I mentioned earlier. And another movie that really comes to mind when I watch this, and maybe it's because of the younger girl and and him, is, is Taxi Driver. Kind of came to mind as well watching this. Um, so then I thought it was interesting then, Leon sees the boy talking to Matilda outside the restaurant and like his paternal instincts like kick in. Yeah. Right. And then they go into the room. Don't talk and, to that boy. He looks like a weirdo. Yeah. And then they go <laughs> into the room. Weirdo. I love that. Yeah. And she says to him, she's like, Leon, I think I'm falling in love with you. And he spits out the milk. So at that point, I'm thinking, okay, this movie's leaving me with three thoughts right now. First of all, no offense. It's boring. It's creepy. And it's weird. Like, I, I was just, I was, I didn't, I couldn't figure, I just couldn't figure it out. You know, I just think of just creepy and weird. I was, I was starting to get weirded out by this movie. And then I guess the, he puts on the sunglasses, you know, and he gets his power from that, his character, I guess. And then just to kind of reinforce things, uh, Natalie Portman's character, she goes to the concierge and that hotel they're staying at. And she says to him, he's not my father. He's my lover. And then the hotel yeah. kicks him out, obviously, because of that, right? Yeah. Um, so again, I'm like, this is just weird. And then she goes back to her family's apartment to get, and she gets that stuffed animal and then stands on the chalk outline of her brother. And then Gary Oldman and the other co- uh, the other guys come in and you realize he's a cop. Yeah. And yeah that's the reveal, yeah. Cop. Yeah, and you're like, holy smokes. So, but then again, I, you gotta, maybe I'm just missing something. So then after that scene, it cuts back to the the the, the room, and um, Leon is stitching himself in the shower. 
And I was like, what did I miss? How did he get hurt? I, I don't understand what happened there. Do you remember that? Scene? Yeah, there was a there was like a flashback scene. So I think I can't remember if it comes just before he's there doing in the shower just after where. So previous to that, when he goes to see Danny Aiello's character and he asks for the rifle, which you don't know that's what he's asking for at the time. And Danny Aiello's like, you know, I was a little surprised when you asked me for this because this is sort of amateur hour and you're such a good professional. And he's like, just want to keep my skills up. But really, we we later learn it's a rifle and he got it out so that he could potentially start teaching Matilda from, you know, the rifle is the safest one and the first one you should use because you're going to be farthest away. Um, and then at a later point when he goes to see Danny Aiello, Danny Aiello even says to him like, hey, you haven't been doing any work lately. So it's clear that he has stopped taking on these hitman contracts because he's trying to basically be a father to Matilda. He, he's, he's trying to grow as a person. He's trying to do the right thing. And then he goes – he ends up taking this job, uh, this hit job, and it doesn't go as, as smoothly as the ones we've already seen, which you can imply – in part, it could be because now that he's opened himself up and he's starting to develop emotions, he's starting to to realize that he can have more. His life can be more than just this this straight line. You you don't act as ruthlessly. You might be a little more caught. And you see this in other movies and other stories where it's like, you know, if you have nothing to lose, you're going to just go in full force every time and to hell with the consequences. But as soon as you have attachments – you second guess yourself, you make mistakes. And I think that's the implication here is he's in this job, which he probably should have done very well. And he's uh, taken a, I think he takes a bullet to the shoulder or a knife or something. And then it, you see him in that scene where he's in the shower, clean himself up. And he's, I think he's stitching himself yeah, up. If I remember correctly, yeah, he was. Where it's clear that, you know, he's taken an injury, not, a, not a, a fatal injury, but he has been hurt. He has, he has been, his status as a professional has been tarnished you have to assume because of the changes in his life. Um, I, I, I believe that's where that's going. So as I've mentioned on this podcast before, I think that I used to be an actor years ago. I used to do a lot of acting and theater and stuff like that. So I'm always looking for like actors motivations for their characters when I watch movies and things like that. And one of the things that jumped out to me with her was she wants revenge and she wants love. You know, like that, yes. that kind of comes out here. And so they go to see Danny Aiello's character again, and then they go on a job. And she shoots paintballs at a guy, right? And then Leon kills him. Yeah. But then things start to get really creepy for me here. So they go back and they drink champagne. Remember that scene? And then, yes. And she wants to kiss him. Yeah. And then she drinks the champagne and she just starts laughing like crazy. And again, I'm just find myself thinking like, I don't really know what's going on in this movie. I just don't get it. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what I'm watching. So I, I think I, – and you got to remember the movie is from 1994. Mm-hmm. If this movie came out today, I think the, the context or the subtext, you would read it very differently. Although people who have never seen it before who watch it with the 2019 lens are going to potentially see different things in it than you would have in 94. I've always felt – because I saw it right when it first came out on home video. I didn't see it in the theater that you have an 11-year-old girl who for the first time in her life – has a positive real male role model. Positive, I mean, he still kills people, but in the sense that he's a provider, he's a protector, mm-hmm. he treats her with respect. Yeah, he doesn't he treat her, her like honesty. her dad did, yeah. Exactly. So you got to think, this is probably the first time in her life she's got a male role model that treats her like a normal person should be treated. So, yes, she's looking for, for the emotion love, but as someone who has probably never really experienced it, doesn't know what to expect or, or what to ask for. So the fact that she's like, I'm in love with you. 
I'm not denying that there is an emotional connection, but I think as an inexperienced 11 or 12 year old girl, the, the idea is that she just doesn't know or understand how to express this love that she's feeling for the first time. On the other side of that, you have Leon, who in my mind never does anything inappropriate. I mean, it's not like this movie about, oh, it's this guy who takes in this 12 year old girl and abuses her. Uh, I never got that impression at all. I, and again, throughout the course of the movie, he's constantly saying to her, like, you're not in love with me, rah, rah, rah. He, he does everything he can to sort of quash any uh, infatuation or, or, or ideas she has of, of the traditional male-female love relationship because he knows as a grown man and a young girl, this is absolutely wrong and, and he doesn't encourage it in the sense – in any, any reasonable sense. Um, except in the scene where you said where she drinks the champagne, she sort of, you know, she blackmails him basically. She she gets drunk and tipsy and she says, I want to kiss. And he's like, no, 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 no. And I honestly can't remember what she said to him, but there's something – she gives him an ultimatum and he's like, OK, fine. I'll give you a kiss because, I mean, you probably saw it more recently than I did. Do you remember? What, what does she hold over his head? Do this or else. I don't remember. remember. No, I don't okay. remember. I, again, I whatever it is. And so he gives her the kiss and then uh, – but again, even when, when – like she's at the apartment, he gives her her space, he sleeps on the couch, she sleeps on the bed. And it's not until much later when she says like, you know, Leon, it's okay if you sleep in, sleep in a bed on a given night. Um, you know, again, it's it's a demonstration of his character growing and, and accepting that you can have other people in your life. You can have good things in your life. But I never got the impression of any sort of uh, crossing the line. I mean, in some cases you might think, oh, this is sort of treading on creepy – which it, even in 1994, I think you would sort of go down that road a little bit. But I think you watch it with today's values and stuff. And it because of changes in the world in the last 25 years, you sort of jump to that conclusion, I think, a little more quickly today than you might have 25 years ago. Um, but I, I personally, when I watch it, I don't get that vibe out of this at all. The thing I don't understand is that there's that whole thing with the gum on the peepholes. Yes. And then cutting the chain and they do like job after job of killing people. Like what, what was going on there? I, I, again, I don't understand. You got to walk me through this. So again, I think that's, so most of those scenes are actually deleted scenes. Those are not in the full, in the original release. So the Leon, the professional, that version of the movie is the quote director's cut. And there's like five to 10 extra minutes in it. Most of that montage is, was cut out in the, in the theatrical release. Cause a lot of it's just repetition. You see the same thing over and over again doesn't really add anything to the to the overall movie other than p- perhaps the idea that it's the passage of time uh, so you can get a sense of of the potential growth of these characters um, just through the spending of time so I think the idea with this is just he has now taken her under his wing as as the assassin and he's trying to you know it's it's take your daughter to work day we're gonna go kill some drug dealers and um, he's trying to include her in a way that it, that befits her skill set of what she can contribute to what is a very dangerous situation, um, which is why he has her knock and, and it's the little girl's voice. Hi, I'm lost. Can you open the mm-hmm. door? And mm-hmm. she puts a gum over the thing so that when the guy looks through the people, it's black. And she's like, it, the lights are off out here and I'm scared. Uh, but obviously they they use that a few too many times and word starts to get out. Hey, don't trust this one. So there's the one scene where even though that happens – the guy doesn't believe them and he used a shotgun and just blows a hole in the door. Uh, but again, Leon being a quote unquote professional is, is savvy enough to, to listen for the cues. And sure enough, he hears the cocking of the weapon and he realizes, uh Oh, this is not going to go as we expected. And he like either, I can't remember if he pushes her out of the way or he like tells her to get down or something But they ended up having a little bit of a shootout. But uh, the heroes are, well, 
the characters we're following will assume they're the heroes don't get hurt in those situations. Um, and then she puts on the, the, the toque and the sunglasses and like, does she become Leon? Is that what that was? Well, I think that's how many times as a little kid, did you put on your dad's work shoes and, and suit jacket and go, look at me, I'm daddy going to work. I think that's an extension of that. It's, it's, this is the first positive role model she's ever had. So she's doing what he's doing. He exercises all the time, so she exercises all the time. He drinks milk, so she drinks milk. It's, it's I want to emulate the behavior of this person who I would think at that point in her life, is her, it's literally and figuratively her whole world. This is her only role model. This is the only person she can trust. So she's going to do what he does. He wears the, the hat and the sunglasses. She should do that too because that's clearly what you do if you want to be an assassin. Yeah, and he says to uh, Danny Aiello too, if, if anything happens to me, give the money to her. But then the, the interesting, like you mentioned about the scene with the bed, because she puts on that pink dress and she explicitly says to him that she wants to make love and he doesn't want to. Right. Because right. that's when he starts talking about the woman that he used to love and all. But they, they share the bed together. Right. And, they, and she's like, well, we can just sleep here again. Just weird and creepy. The whole, the whole thing was just weird and creepy to me. But um, keep in mind, the movie was written and directed by a European. So sometimes the the line of what's considered, not that I'm suggesting that there's any uh, uh, applicable situation where those two characters should ever have any sort of physical relationship, but the the values, sexual values in Europe are sometimes different Mm -hmm. than in North America. Say for even like an example at a nude beach, you don't see a lot of nude beaches in North America, but in Europe, they're all over the place. Mm -hmm. So the way that people perceive certain elements of of that are going to be different based on their uh, on their upbringing and, and where they're from. So, again, you got to keep in mind the writer and director of this movie is European. So there might be things where he throw he's throwing these ideas into this movie. And from his mindset, he's like, well, they're sort of on the fence. Whereas the North American you watch and go, no, no, dude, that's way over the mm. line. That should be in there. So, OK, yeah. well, yeah, I get it. So so this this last part is where I need your help again. OK, because Gary Oldman comes into the restaurant and they get Natalie Portman's character, right? And then they move on Leon and they shoot up the place and she goes down that chute, you know, and then he yep. puts on the mask and then he, he gets away and, you know, they think he's he's one of them. And then there's the whole the grenade belt, you know, thing and they blow up. And then Danny Aiello gives her the money and then. No, he doesn't. Oh, well, he gives her some money. Gives her some money. And then I'm thinking, okay, is this thing over yet? And then guess what happened? You're never going to believe it. The sound went off. And I tried to get it back on and get it working yet, and I could not get the sound to work on the last thing. So something like she was talking to a school or something, I couldn't get the sound to work, so I had to give up. So I missed maybe the last four minutes of it. So fill me in. What did I miss at the end? I I could not get it to work. So you have the big climatic, climactic, shootout scene mm-hmm. you have the blow uh, up yep yeah you have the whole thing you have leon you know matilda i love you you've, you've taught me how to love i want to live i don't want to die rah, rah, rah. and he helps her escape and unfortunately uh he doesn't escape from this uh from this situation it's it, it would have been remarkable had he been able to given the odds that were against him mm-hmm. uh and then she's by herself she goes to danny aiello uh, because in her mind she's still thinking well i can be a hitman and he sort of gives her a harsh do- dose of reality where he's like, you're a little girl. You're not a hitman. He goes, you want a job sweeping up? That's fine. But otherwise, you know, forget it. And I always read into that that Danny, again, based on the interactions that Danny Ellis had with the characters up until that point, that 
he says he's been keeping all Leon's money, but I don't think he ever had any intentions of giving him any more of the money than he absolutely needed. And so even though Leon had said very clearly, if anything happens to me, I want you to take all that money I've earned over these years and give it to this little girl. I don't think we're going to see Danny Aiello ever do that. And I think, uh, you know, that's why she basically has nowhere else to go. She goes back to this boarding school, which they, mm -hmm. the one you had asked, they called at the beginning where she pretended to be the right. mom. That's what I thought goes, it was. And I'm like, yeah. what was so she, she saying? There, I couldn't hear her. So, and yeah. the principal basically says, like, you've been gone for almost a full semester. And we already told we already told you that, like, you're done. Like, why should we accept you into this school? And so she comes clean. She, she says everything. My parents were killed by drug dealers and, you know, my neighbor took me in and he's been taking care of me, but unfortunately he died and now I have nowhere else to go. And if you turn me out on, if you don't allow me to come back into this boarding school right now, I'm going to be sleeping on the streets tonight and I'll be dead before you know it. And that'll be on your head. And the next scene is, uh, you see her walking out of the, out of the school and she goes into the field and she plants the, 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 the little plant in the, in the field. And she, I think she says something like, uh, you know, now we're both going to be able to spread roots or something like the implication is, yes, she's going to be able to stay at that school. And yes, Leon's plant is now going to be able to grow beyond the confines of the pot that it's been stuck in the whole movie as a sort of a metaphorical representation mm -hmm. of the growth of all of the characters. Gotcha. So it just kind of brings that thematic element back in. Okay. And then so in one of our previous podcasts, I don't have the episode in front of me. Mm -hmm. We talked about sequels we like to see. Mm -hmm. So this was my number one, if I remember, it was my number one, my number two sequel I wanted to see was I want to see the 25 years later sequel with Natalie Portman mm -hmm. now as the professional assassin coming back and doing whatever kind of job needed to be done. I can't remember exactly what I, I put together a little two or three sentence synopsis. So mm -hmm. this is what would happen. Um, so this is something and apparently it had been toyed with. They had asked Luke Besson, hey, is this a movie you would ever do a sequel to featuring Matilda grown up? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. It's something I'd love to do. And he had written a treatment for it. And he ended up using large parts of that treatment for uh, one of his future projects, which, of course, name escapes me right now. But I'll look it up before the end of this podcast. Um, so it, it doesn't sound like they're going to do the sequel, but it sounds like there was definitely a desire to do a sequel. If they yeah. made a sequel to Leon the Professional, you couldn't get me there with a wheelbarrow, a roll of duct tape, and an ether rag. Okay. <laughs> but other than that, it was great. What about uh, free candy? I will go for free candy. Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. Uh, anyway, on that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. Okay, so Leon the Professional. Obviously, Leon's name is in the title, and lots of movies have someone's first name in the title. So let's have some fun and see how many movies that you can name that have someone's name in the title, okay? I'll tell you what. I'll give you the year and the synopsis, and you name the movie, okay? Just keep okay. in mind, every title has a person's name in the title, right? Easy, okay. right? You're going to nail yeah, them, right? Sure. Okay, so we're going to start with some easy ones. 2003. Synopsis. After his son is captured in the Great Barrier Reef and taken to Sydney, a timid clownfish sets out on a journey to bring him home. Finding Nemo. Very good. Very good. Good, job. good job. Okay, sticking with 2003. After awakening from a four-year coma, a former assassin wreaks vengeance on the team of assassins who betrayed her. Oh, um, uh, is it Kill Bill? Yes, I'll give it to you. It's Kill Bill Volume 1. Yes, correct. Sure. Okay, 1989, we're going back to you. An artificial man 
who was incompletely constructed, leads a solitary life. Then one day, a suburban lady meets him and introduces him to her world. Um, wow. Oh, uh, is it Edward Scissorhands? It is Edward oh, Scissorhands. Oh, yeah. My mind was thinking very Terminator. Good. I'm like, no, no, that's not, the, that, that's not the kind of robot we're thinking of. Yeah, very good. Very good. Someone's name is in the title. Just remember that. Yeah. 1996. Okay. This is an easy one. When a sports agent has a moral epiphany and is fired for expressing it, he decides to put his new philosophy to the test as an independent agent with the only athlete who stays with him and his former secretary. Show me the money! Yes! Very good. Yes, it is Jerry Maguire. Okay, going back to 1979. In a self-destructing world, a vengeful Australian police man sets out to stop a violent motorcycle gang. Mad Max. Yes, very good. Original Mad Max. I knew you'd do well on these. Okay, 1979 as well. Born on the original Christmas in the stable next door to Jesus, Brian of Nazareth spends his life being mistaken for a Messiah. Uh, I'm not sure if I got the title correct, but it was the Monty Python movie, The Life of Brian. That is correct. Was it, it. What was the full title? Is it Monty Python's Flying Circus Presents the Life of Brian no, or is it just Mon- Life of Brian? It's Monty Python's Life of Brian. Oh, I got it right the yeah. first time. Thanks. Okay, 1997. Another easy one. A janitor. At MIT has a gift for mathematics, but needs help from a psychologist to find direction in his life. Yeah, this one stars my boyfriend, Goodwill Hunting. Yes, it does. But of course, it's Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Uh, okay, 1996. The story of a controversial pornographer and how he became a defender of free speech. Yeah, I love this movie. I'm actually going to get you to watch this movie not too long from now. It's The People versus Larry Flint. It is. Okay, we're going back to 1976, my friend. A shy, friendless teenage girl who is sheltered by her domineering religious mother unleashes her telekinetic powers after being humiliated by her classmates at her senior prom. Wow. What was the year? 1976. I, I, it sounds like it'd be in my wheelhouse. I don't know. That doesn't sound familiar at all. Oh, it's Carrie. Carrie. I thought that description would just no, give it away. Never for seen you. it. Oh, God, it's so good. That's based on a Stephen King book, right? It sure is. Okay. Yeah, not a big fan S- of Stephen Sticking King. around that time, 1977, neurotic New York comedian Alvy Singer falls in love with a ditzy but charming woman. Wow. Alvy Singer. Oh, you know it or you don't. Alvy oh, Singer. I, I have no idea. <laughs> It's Annie Hall. Oh, geez. That one I have seen, but it's been a long time. Oh, it's so good. I love the movie. Okay. 1968. A young couple moves into an apartment only to be surrounded by peculiar neighbors and occurrences. When the wife becomes mysteriously pregnant, paranoia over the safety of her unborn child begins to control her life. Um... I wanted to say Sophie's Choice, but no, that's not right. Is it um, Rosemary's Baby? It is Rosemary's Baby. Never seen it, but I knew, the, I knew the, the plot. And the last one is from 1974. We're going way back. Okay. A re- zero is born, man. Good. A recently, you'll get it for sure. A recently okay. widowed woman is on the road with her precocious young son, determined to make her new life 
for herself as a singer? Uh, okay. I don't, I don't know, but I'm going to hazard a guess and I don't know why this is the guess I'm going to hazard. It could be way out of left field or it could be right. Is it Alice doesn't live here anymore? It is. Congratulations. Oh, Very good. I don't know where that came from. I was just Very like, good. have you ever seen it? Martin no, Scorsese. Oh man. Ellen Burstein. And actually they made that into a TV series. I know. Alice. Oh, yeah. The sitcom. I love the sitcom. The sitcom is great. I love the sitcom too. And the funny thing was is Vic Tabak, who plays Mel in Bell's Diner was actually in that movie. Vic Tabak wow. was the only actor that was in the movie that was also in the TV show. So very good. He did a really good job on that, man. Yeah. Really the only couple job. I didn't get. Some of the older ones. Yeah. He just missed Carrie and Annie Hall. That was it. Um, okay. So we're going to come back next episode with another movie review. And this time it's my pick. So sure. I need really to think about this. I don't know. I think I am going to go. Nothing with Bill Murray. To I love Bill Murray, but we've done a lot of Bill Murray movies. No Bill Murray is involved okay. here. It's, I'm going to go back to 1983, though. Okay. 1983. And okay. at the time, John Landis was just at the top, the top of his game, right? He's coming off Animal House and stuff. And I think this might be one of his best movies. And I absolutely love this movie. I want to come back next time and review Trading Places. Love it. So you're going you're, you're to watch Trading Places again. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about Trading Places. I just love, love, love that movie. So yeah. you're, well, up, for, you're I, up for the I challenge? Seen it in a while, so I, I'm looking forward to going yeah. back and seeing it again, seeing a really skinny Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I told you on the last podcast, I watched the uh, the new Eddie Murphy movie on Netflix, Dolomite. Yeah, Dolomite. you said it was really good, so too. I'm, I've been sort of jonesing to go back and do uh, an Eddie Murphy little film fest. Beverly Hills Cop Part 1 has been on TV a few times, so, so good. I've been watching that. But yeah, Trading Places, I love it. It is one of my wife's favorites as well, so I'll, love, I'll get her to, uh, to watch it with me. Movie. I think I might even have it on DVD, which would be great. That'd be awesome. Uh, and one of the things I definitely am going to want to talk about when we come back and do this movie mm-hmm. is the whole end scene is really confusing to a lot of people and i've done a lot of homework to make sure that i understand oh, good. correctly about, so like about, about, about the um the stock market and stuff like that how the mean? stock markets yeah. work yeah yeah so, yeah yeah because yeah, a lot of people like they, they get confused at the end i understand it yeah, yeah yeah so no i'm looking forward to it yeah no thanks this is a good one i, I good. i'm really looking forward to watching it any excuse to watch this movie and uh yeah we'll go from there i think when when you think back to the 80s and 80s movies this one gets lost and it shouldn't because I think it's one of the best comedy movies that came out of the 80s. That's what's my personal it's definitely, definitely lost in the shuffle. But mm-hmm. I think partly because – not that it's not great. It's just that there was a lot of other yeah. fantastic comedies that came out around this. And so mm-hmm. when people say, what are your favorite 80s comedies? You rhyme six or seven of them off and this one doesn't make the list. And you you don't fault someone for not putting it on the list. But you're just like, wow, this is a strong – like there's a lot of strong picks. Yeah. Like I say, yeah. it just gets lost in the shuffle. And I also liked uh, Landis came up with another movie a couple of years later, Spies Like Us. Love that too. Again, it just got lost yeah. in the shuffle. Didn't really like that one as much. Yeah, I loved it. I've seen that one a lot. We used mm-hmm. to have a copy of that on home video years right. ago. So I, yeah, I watched it a lot. I, I don't know. It's, honestly, Chevy Chase has never been one of my favorite performers. He's I done get some it. great yeah, things. I get it. But yeah. I don't know. I just, I never really, that one, you know, there's the scene, Doctor, 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 mm-hmm. Doctor. That That's that's about the only scene in that movie I like. But Training Places, I do I enjoy a lot. So okay, good. I'm gonna well, go then. back and watch it for the first time in many years. And Me too. Yeah, I probably new, I probably haven't details. seen it in 25 years. You know, but I love that movie a lot. I remember I, I liked it. So if you want to reach out to us, uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, you can reach Derek uh, on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. You'll reach me at C McBrien and popgoesyourworld.com is our website. All our contact information is on there. If you want to reach out to us, we'll get back to you. This is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations.
Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 